At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 298th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Healthy food is something that everyone wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWANTTOGARDEN.COM and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own healthy food. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is enthusiastic about backyard flocks. We're talking with Kathy Shea Mormino about healthy, happy hens. Known as the Chicken Chick, Kathy brings an informative style and fresh perspective on raising backyard chickens to millions of fans around the world. An attorney by profession, Kathy is the founder and one-woman creative force behind her wildly popular and award-winning Facebook page and blog, thechickenchick.com. Her practical approach and sense of humor allows her to connect, educate, and share an appreciation for keeping chickens as family pets as well as for their eggs. With a following of over 700,000 Facebook fans, she has become the person folks go to for information, advice, and fun. She is the author of the best-selling book, The Chicken Chick's Guide to Backyard Chickens, Simple Steps for Healthy, Happy Hens by Voyager Press. Welcome to the show today, Kathy. Are you ready to rock? Let's do this. Nice. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? I can. It's kind of a winding road, kind of a crazy path from law school to crazy chicken lady. (laughs) (laughs) My husband and I, after we got married, we built a house in a farm town and our neighbor kept chickens and three horses on her property, same size property as ours. She asked me to collect eggs for her one summer when they went away on vacation, and that planted the old seed. (laughs) I had never had any experience or interactions with chickens in my life, but I found myself visiting often throughout the day. So it wasn't just a journey once once a day to collect the eggs. It was intriguing. I was intrigued by the chickens. I was interested in the fresh eggs and what it might take to keep my own chicken. I began researching with my neighbor's encouragement what it might take to have a half a dozen, a dozen chickens in my own backyard. So that involved reading all of the authoritative books that I could get my hands on, which included, of course, the Chicken Health Handbook and Dory's Guide to Raising Chickens by Gail Damero. She's the original chicken chick. Oh, yes. So I would get to the portion of the book where she would discuss the creepy crawlies, the mites, the lice, the worms, and what have you, and I would promptly talk myself out of backyard chickens at that juncture. (laughs) Right. But I finally decided I had enough information and I was going to be able to do it, and I set out to convincing Mr. Chicken Chick... (laughs) that it was a good idea and that he could have more power tools to build things in the backyard if he got on board. So we decided to do it. And, you know, as chicken math will 
do. The first six chickens turned into a dozen chickens right away, coming through the catalog of all the different breeds. Uh, I needed one of everything. So (laughs) we got a dozen chickens and one turned out to be a rooster. Sexing chickens at the hatchery is only 90% accurate. So one of them ended up being a rooster. That opened up an entirely different chapter of the chickening adventures. When my chickens started laying eggs, I decided that I wanted custom labels for my egg cartons that I gave to friends and family and doctors and dentists. Nice. So no one was offering that service at the time. I started making my own and had extra labels left over, and it became this itty-bitty cottage industry where I was making and selling them. How cool is that? Yeah, well, this this is how it all started. (laughs) I told you it was a windy road. So I started making them and selling them, and I figured, well, it was going well. I might as well create a website. Everybody knows that to market a business, you need a Facebook page and a blog and a Twitter account. So I set up all of those. The brand was not the chicken chick at the time. It was just the egg carton labels business. So a couple years into the labels, um, the Facebook page started to take on a life of its own as I shared my photos of my birds and their day-to-day interactions. The page grew and grew, as did the backyard chicken keeping evolution around the country. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, so sort of my page grew along with it and my blog methodology grew I would find that there were frequently asked questions, so I would write a blog article. When I would get asked that question, I would just be able to link people to that blog article. So there's a dynamic between the blog and the Facebook page where people can just hop over from the Chicken Chick Facebook page to the Chicken Chick website and get more in-depth information on any given topics. That's how the blog and Facebook page evolved and grew. Before you go any farther, I have a question for you. What year were you hanging out in your neighbor's backyard collecting eggs? 2007 or 2008, because I got my first flock in July 21st, 2009. Perfect. A date that will go down in infamy. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, I'm so very excited for you about all this. All right, great. So 2009, you got your first chicken. So that's just eight years ago. Mm -hmm. So you've created this movement in your arena in eight years. I would say this movement evolved as I just kept what I was doing. The need for information was out there. It wasn't being addressed in quite the way as I began addressing it. So it continues to grow. I think people are hungry for backyard chicken keeping information that is Mm -hmm. sound, that is backed in research and poultry physiology and anatomy. People don't want to become poultry nutritionists or poultry professors or poultry veterinarians themselves in order to keep backyard chickens, but they need quality information that comes from those sources in order to make the best decisions for their own flocks. That's the basis of my brand is bringing good, sound, reliable information to people about backyard chickens in a fun, relatable, reliable way. And people are loving it, apparently, with 700,000 followers on Facebook. We are having a darn good time doing chickens. That's all there is to it. It's not rocket science, and 
there are new things. So there are old timers ways of doing things. But the way your great grandparents, my great grandparents may have kept chickens is very different from the way we keep backyard chickens today. Certainly we have a vast amount of research and information about the way commercial laying hens are kept. So we know a great deal about poultry now as a result of the commercial poultry industry. The nutrition aspect is a pretty new piece in the poultry arena for backyard chicken keepers. So while your great-grandfather may, or it was probably more your great-grandmother who was out there with the apron and and the uh, cracked corn, scattering it on the ground for chickens. So while she was giving the chickens leftovers or cracked corn, and that was their meal for the day, then they were turned out on pasture, we now know that is not what makes healthy chickens. That is not what is optimal for their health or for their egg production. They need more than just corn or kitchen scraps or what they find out on range. We don't have pastures anymore. We have backyards. So we've torn out all the pastures. We've laid grass down. And now our birds don't have access to the pasture of yore. But even back when they did, their diets still weren't balanced in the way that that they are today as a result of the information that we have from the intense study of poultry nutrition. I've got some questions about that because we have 19 hens here at the Urban Farm and there are pets. Mm -hmm. I've started converting my backyard into a pasture with more than just grass in it so that they can roam in the back and eat bugs and weeds and so on and so on. But what makes healthy chickens and what should we be feeding them? Right. So great question. Poultry nutritionists have PhDs in the study of these animals and what will make them optimally productive. How we feed them so that they're optimally healthy and optimally productive is no mystery. To provide them with a complete commercial layer feed is the best you can do by your chickens in terms of nutrition. Give your birds a complete commercial layer feed when they're of laying age, and they will produce eggs to their optimum potential. They will be as healthy as they can be, so they'll be able to support their own immune systems without any outside influence any other way nutritionally, and they will live as long as possible. So... That is the foundation for a healthy chicken is a complete commercial layer feed. My book is subtitled Simple Steps for Healthy Happy Hens. I talk about four essentials that are simple enough to do Uh that are required for healthy hens. And one of those is a complete commercial layer feed. Add to that, if you're going to want to feed your bird everything that is a little bit past prime in your refrigerator, if you want to give them all of the garden imperfections, the zucchini and the tomatoes, and you want to buy the scratch or the designer Mm -hmm. mealworms or whatever treats they have in the poultry tractor supply, you are diluting that complete nutrition in their layer feed. Everything that goes into their mouths that is not their layer feed detracts from the total amount of layer feed they're expected to eat every day. So poultry nutritionists say, hey, the average laying hen's going to eat about two-thirds of a cup of chicken feed every day. We need to put all of these 60, 80 nutrients in this two-thirds of a cup playing hen to eat. We expect them to eat this. They need this. We know they need all of these things in these combinations in order to perform egg-wise and to be healthy. So anything we give them on top of that is going to detract from that. So if you have children, you know that you can make them a nutritious meal that's completely balanced for them. But if you plunk down a bowl of ice cream next to them when you present them with their dinner plate, they're going for the ice cream and they're not going to eat what you intended for them to eat. Right. 
the difference between <laughs> one of the differences between children's and chickens is hens are so much more susceptible to omissions in their diet than children are. Children aren't producing a potential offspring on average once a day. In egg production, there are lots of physical demands on a hen that they need nutrients and certain combinations to fuel. So if they're not getting what they need to make a normal egg once a day, we'll just, for sake of argument, we'll say hens lay an egg every day, but we know that they don't. If they don't get that every day, then something is going to be adjusted somewhere anatomically for them. Something's going to give. So it may end up being that the shell is soft. It may be the shell is wonky looking. Maybe you have a blood spot in the egg. They need all those nutrients to have the best shot at doing their work, and that is creating eggs. Also, their metabolisms are really high. So they need their metabolisms fed at the right rate. So they need the right balance of proteins. More specifically, they need the right amino acids and the right Mm -hmm. amount of energy that'll come by way of, you know, corn oftentimes. It's a very complex science, and you cannot make chicken feed as well as the commercial operations make it. So Purina, Neutrina, you just can't do it. They have poultry nutritionists on staff, and and you can't do the quality control that they do. There are so many things along the way that can go wrong with poultry nutrition, including ingredients that get moldy or go stale or lose nutrients or don't have the right percentages of nutrients in them. So poultry nutrition... Wicked complicated. Interesting. Feed them a complete commercial diet. Limit the treats, if any, to no more than two tablespoons per bird per day and not every day. I just got an email today from a woman who sent me a picture of her laying hen who has had a mostly naked back for most of this year. And she doesn't understand why. I haven't had a chance to get back to her yet, but I will guarantee you that that bird is being fed much more than her layer feed. Right. So they can't grow feathers if they don't have the resources Mm -hmm. to support their own health, to support their energy demands throughout the day, and to make eggs. They just can't do everything if they don't have the resources nutritionally. The simple steps for healthy hens is fourfold. It's provide them with a complete commercial layer feed and limit dietary extras, if any. Mm -hmm. Two is clean water, in clean containers, all day, every day. That's not negotiable. Yep, yep. Filthy water containers do not promote health in chickens. So it's easy enough to do with a poultry nipple drinker. The poultry nipple drinkers nowadays are on every shelf in every feed store. You can find them anywhere. And they tend to be less expensive than traditional drinkers. So they have to have clean water or they're not going to be healthy. Water is the essential Mm -hmm. nutrient. Without it, they can't keep themselves warm. They can't keep themselves cool in the summer. They can't do anything. Metabolism is driven by water. So they have to have clean water in clean containers. Right. How healthy do you think you and I would be if we're at a conference and everybody who walks in the front door of the conference takes a swig out of a glass of water at the front door every time they go past it? Worse, what if, you know, they're emptying their, um, you know, baby's diaper in that? Mm. That's what we're talking about if we're not giving our birds clean water. They cannot be healthy if they're drinking poop, bacteria, who knows what all else. So complete feed, water. Clean water, yeah, exactly. Plenty of clean, dry living space. You have to maximize the amount of space that they have, and it needs to be kept dry. Birds cannot live 
in wet, poopy conditions and be healthy. Fourth is good biosecurity. And by biosecurity, we mean the ways we keep disease out of their flocks. Don't go to a poultry auction or a chicken swap or a meat and bring home a hen of who knows what age from who knows where. Because even birds that are healthy that might come from places like that are going to bring with them diseases. They may have immunity to themselves. They may be recovered carriers of themselves. Every chicken yard has different pathogens in it, and birds that live in it will develop immunities to whatever they're exposed to in their own yard. Bringing adult birds from a different source into your flock is courting danger with your bird's health. They can, I see it frequently where people say, you know, a friend of mine had some birds and they looked healthy and I quarantined them right. for six minutes. You know, two weeks is not adequate <laughs> even to, to quarantine birds. Um, so even if you quarantine them and keep them separate for a couple of weeks and keep an eye on them, the stress of moving is enough to cause birds to shed viruses and they start sharing right. cooties <laughs> that they have been exposed to. And the next thing you know, both flocks are dead. So it's not good practice to add adult birds to your flock. I've never heard that before, but it makes perfect sense. Number four, you said biosecure space. Biosecurity? Yes. So one of the places that my mind went, so a year and just a little over a year ago, we had 10 of our hens taken out in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona, by a bobcat. Mm -hmm. Since then, we have built a very secure chicken coop. It's a predator-proof coop, and so I've become a mm -hmm. passionate supporter that if you're going to keep chickens, you may you must keep them also safe from predators. So I'd, I'd add that to your biosecure space as well. It's this is a predator-secure space. Uh, well, you know, there's room enough in backyards for people to develop their own predator-proofing philosophy. But that doesn't go so much to the health of chickens. So my my four simple steps are for healthy chickens. Got it. Security is a separate issue, yes. and I talk in my book quite a lot about predator-proofing. I think of predator-proofing like an onion. There are many layers that you can add to your chicken's living space to secure them. You add those layers based on your level of risk tolerance. Oh, of course. If you don't have the stomach for the potential for loss of a bird in your flock, from a bobcat, from a hawk, from a raccoon, you're going to keep your birds on lockdown. Mm -hmm. Hardware cloth, welded wire, cement walls, what have you. And that's a totally legitimate practice. You just have to know that you're going to need to work harder in different ways to keep those birds healthy because the less space they have, the more poop there is in that space and the more chance there is for mm. them to become ill as a result of living in among their own excrement. There are challenges on um, both sides of the way we manage our chickens between, yeah. you know, complete free range where there's uh, no fencing at all anywhere and total lockdown. So how you go about it is going to depend on your level of risk tolerance for loss. Yeah. My backyard, I free range my birds, but I had exactly the same situation one year in my flock where we didn't have any fencing around the backyard and my husband was mowing the lawn with a push or back in those days and out comes a bobcat, grabs one of the birds right in front of him and takes it off into the woods. Wow. Brazen. Yeah. Predators are, are so much more brazen it seems. 
than ever before. So we have all kinds of predators here. We have bears, we have bobcats, we have mountain lions, we have raccoons, we have foxes. So living in the wild kingdom here, you have to (laughs) make some choices. And I know what my challenges have been over the years. Right. And I've always allowed my birds to free range. But we have put up a four-foot fence around the entire backyard, which is probably a half an acre. I mean, it's it's ginormous. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, we have wetlands behind the chicken coop. So occasionally, they'll fly up and over into the unsafe area, and they will, you know, meet their maker that way oftentimes. But it just doesn't happen that often. Sometimes a hawk will come in the yard and take one away, but it's really not that often. So there are ways to make free-ranging safer for your birds by having lots of cover for them, places for them to scoot under. They're all constantly looking up into the skies. You can have roosters who are outstanding lookouts. They're a good early warning mechanism for your hens to um, find a safe place if there's trouble in the skies. So again, layers. The more layers you have, the more secure your birds will be. The one place that I feel very strongly about that no predator should be able to is inside the chicken coop at night because they are completely defenseless at night. They have outstanding color vision uh, and outstanding vision during during the day, but they have because their color vision is so good, yep. they have lousy yes. night vision. So they don't see well. They don't have defenses. They are literally sitting ducks in or sitting hens in the coop at <laughs> <There> night, <you go. laughs> and they can't defend themselves. So I really feel like if we're going to keep chickens, we have an obligation to protect them from everything when they can't protect themselves in yeah, any way. Exactly. Again, I talk in the book quite mm-hmm. a lot about um, predator-proofing a chicken coop. And it's not difficult, right. but it's not inexpensive. You mentioned along the way over the past five minutes or so, you mentioned cleaning out the chicken coop. Mm-hmm. And the chicken coop is where they sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And chickens poop at night. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know that, how often should we be cleaning chicken poop out of the chicken coop? So kind of an interesting question. I mean, there's there are as many ways to set up a chicken coop as there are backyard chicken keepers. So it depends on your setup. It depends on the type of litter that you're using. Litter is the substrate we use mm-hmm. on the floor of the chicken coop to facilitate cleaning and keep the coop dry. The system I have in my chicken coop, I recommend and that most people can implement is to use sand as litter on the floor and droppings boards underneath the roost. So droppings boards are little more than a shelf underneath the roost. So chickens poop at night and the shelf Uh catches the poop. So all you need to do is go in in the morning with a 12-inch taping knife and scrape off the droppings once a day into a bucket, put it in your compost pile, and you have a clean chicken coop. Yep. Your birds uh, will be spending time inside, should only be inside your chicken coop for two purposes. One is sleeping and two is laying eggs. The rest of the day, they should be outside, either in your chicken run or on range. They have no business inside the Uh chicken coop. So if there's nothing happening by way of traffic into the chicken coop, there's going to be a negligible amount of chicken poop on in the litter. So your coop is going to be clean every day. And mine is. And I do a live feed on Facebook just about every single day. And people, people see my coop and they see there's no flies in there. I don't have to buy all sorts of crazy litter amendments or 
try to cover up the smell of poop. I don't have to spend once a week or twice a week changing the litter out wholesale because my coop's not stinky. If your coop is stinky, you need to look at your management, Practices. how you're managing the, the, the waste and the litter. Yeah. And keep the food and water out of the coop. Food and water should not be inside the chicken coop. Yeah. That's a recipe for rodents, for flies, for frostbite, for respiratory disease, for the buildup of ammonia, mm-hmm. et cetera, on and on and on. So, yeah, keep, keep the food and water out of the coop in the chicken run in a covered, protected space. And you're on Easy Street now. That's as easy as it gets. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. So for those of our listeners out there that aren't keeping chickens currently, why should people keep chickens? Well, I don't think everybody should keep chickens. I think if you want to keep chickens, it can be done easily. You need to do your homework uh-huh. to make sure, first and foremost, that it is legal to keep chickens in your jurisdiction. People who live in an HOA yep. have contracts that they have a- agreed with their association mm-hmm. they will abide by, and that usually excludes raising poultry. I live in a farm town. We built our house in this farm town because we liked the pastoral setting and great schools. I had no idea when I was getting my first chickens that chickens were not permitted by our zoning code in our property. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So my neighbor had three horses and a dozen chickens, the neighbor whose eggs I collected. She had no idea her chickens were illegal, but her horses were legal. So, wow. Yeah, that's that's a mind bender, right? <laughs> yeah. So, the issue in um, my town and in many, many jurisdictions around the country, people are waging battles to change their zoning codes, their municipal ordinances, because zoning codes evolved in the mid 1900s uh, as a result of folks moving into the city. So zoning codes were intended to protect property values from that influx of folks into the city and to prevent companies, corporations, you know, a funeral, you know, a crematorium or a glue factory from plopping down and building their factory next to your house. Zoning regulations were intended to protect property values. They were never intended to micromanage what activities occur in your backyard. Right. So back in the early, mid-1900s, everybody kept chickens in their backyard because if you wanted fresh eggs or chicken meat, there was not a grocery store to go to. Grocery stores are a thing of the mid-1900s. If you wanted fresh eggs, you raised your own birds. And there was not a lot of thought put into that. Those birds were lowest, you know, animal uh, in the pecking order in the barnyard. And when they got sick or died, they were served as dinner. So, no harm, no foul. That's just what you did. They were raised for a different purpose. They were livestock back then. Right. So it never occurred to anybody in the mid or mostly you know, mm-hmm. late 1900s that we need to specify that you can raise chickens to feed your family in your backyard. In the same way, no one's rushing to change the zoning code to say that you can plant a garden and raise tomatoes, grow tomatoes in your backyard. Things are not always as they seem when it comes to, you know, common sense kind of things like, why, why wouldn't I be able to have a few chickens in my backyard for eggs? Not bothering anyone. Yeah. Um, so you, you have to make sure that if you want to start keeping chickens, that they are legal in your jurisdiction. And yeah. I encourage 
folks to actually read their zoning codes, but be careful. If it doesn't say that you can raise chickens in your backyard, you cannot. Oh. So it's sort of counterintuitive. Right. So zoning, zoning regulations tell you what you are permitted to do, what you're allowed to do mm -hmm. on your property. They don't always put it in the negative yeah. that you're not allowed to keep chickens. Some do, but just Some be don't. aware. That's not as straightforward as it seems sometimes. And a lot of folks make that mistake. Oh, my zoning code didn't say anything about chickens. Wahoo, I can keep them. Well, not so fast. Lawyers are tricky like that. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. So I want to talk about your book real quick. This is The Chicken Chick's Guide to Backyard Chickens, Simple Steps for Healthy, Happy Hens. And it's coming out next month, and it's already a bestseller. Well, truth be told, the publication date is October 1st, and I'm sure that means something to the publishers, but uh -huh. I don't know exactly what it means. Amazon does their own thing. So the book is actually out now. It's being shipped by Amazon. It is in many tractor supply stores, but it's been a bestseller for many months as a result of pre-order sales. Wow. So yeah, I've sold thousands and thousands and thousands of copies already and the publication date isn't until <laughs> October. So, <laughs> you know, I think that just speaks to, you know, two things, you know, one, the interest in backyard chickens and two, the passion that my followers on Facebook, who are not all backyard chicken keepers, have for, you know, what we do together every day, mm -hmm. what I do on my Facebook page, and their yes. appreciation for chickens as pets. It's a different time, you know. Chickens are not all, you know, leghorns anymore. They're not all just white and nameless and, you know, livestock. They are. They become Our pets. the family pets. So while you may get them for the eggs, we soon begin to distinguish them from each other, and we give them names, and yeah. they have distinct personalities and tendencies, yeah, they and do. they're fun to watch. And they're, and they're engaging, and they're fascinating little beings and little society. And so, you know, they do become family pets. And I think that's probably one of the most surprising aspects of keeping uh, backyard chickens is you get them for the eggs, yeah. but you keep them for the companionship. Friends. They all get yeah, their exactly. AARP exactly. cards when they stop laying eggs. Nobody gets the ax anymore. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. We've got six of those right now. Mm -hmm. So, yep, they've been longtime residences here. Residences. <laughs> here at the urban farm and yeah they they just get to live the rest of their life out so well yeah. congratulations on your book that is awesome thank you i appreciate that that was a book that i never wanted to write nice <laughs> folks insisted on it my fans were asking yeah. me to write a book for years you know i was pretty hesitant about it for a, a long time because i wanted to make sure that i was comfortable that i was in a place where i felt like i had enough research and knowledge and connections with veterinarians mm -hmm. and poultry nutritionists and poultry professors at universities that I could wow. get my information from reliable sources, make sure it was accurate. Oh, yes, I've of had course. it fact-checked by yeah. at least five different poultry experts. And so, yeah, that's the lawyer in me. <laughs> so the lawyer piece never goes away. You know, you make sure that your work is, your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And so it's important to me that my information in this book was reliable, is reliable, and folks can feel confident that it's not just Stuff. some blogger spouting yeah, off about exactly. you know, exactly. their opinions on things. This is a difficult time for backyard chicken keepers because the veterinary community at large has not met the need for health care for backyard chickens. So the large animal vets don't see chickens. Right. The no small kidding. animal vets mostly don't see chickens. 
and the poultry vets who come out of veterinary school go into the commercial poultry industry or academia. Oh, so right. most of us, we're on our own. We're on our own. It's a precarious time when own. you have a health problem, but you know, hopefully that tide is changing. I've seen that here with our flock when, you know, Heidi, mm-hmm. you know, when Heidi has a hen, Heidi's my sweetheart, when she has a hen that's not doing well, it comes inside and, you know, she does her own magic on it. But, you know, finding a vet, we haven't been so lucky. So, yep. You really have to pound the pavement yeah. and dial the phone. And some veterinarians keep chickens themselves and are willing to try to, you know, dig in and, mm-hmm find, you know, research more about what your issue might be. But by and large, veterinarians don't, aren't trained in poultry care. They have yeah. maybe a 45-minute class once their senior year, you know, now right. many of them exactly. are wishing. In fact, I, yeah. had, I, had a poultry, I had a veterinarian, a small animal veterinarian, come to one of my talks, uh-huh. uh, my book signing in South Carolina this past weekend with his family. Glad he didn't tell me he was a veterinarian until I had answered all their his family's questions, because that's kind of intimidating. But I, I often have veterinarians who come to me or, or say that they oh, refer nice. their patients to me uh-huh. for chicken questions all the time, because it is, a, it is a specialty. Chickens are a specialty. It's not something that they routinely cover mm-hmm. in a veterinary school, and oh, yeah. most vets aren't comfortable with it. You know, the diagnosis aspect, the diseases, there are different diseases. They're not the same as parrots and canaries, whatever uh, house birds uh, folks might keep. They're, they're very different, and their challenges are different. Exactly. So, yeah. I want to mm-hmm. point out my experience here, because I'm sitting over here thinking, well, our good news here at the Urban Farm, and I've been keeping chickens here for almost two decades, mm-hmm. is that we haven't had that many chicken health problems. So mostly, if you treat them well, if you feed them well, if you clean up after them, if you keep their space clean... And give them, you know, outdoor space to run around. We we haven't here at the urban farm haven't seen a whole lot of health issues come up. So, you know, that's the good news. That's good. That's good news. Yeah. That's good news. That means a couple things. I mean, it means that you're probably doing the basic things well. Uh huh. It's probably also the luck of the draw. Have you had birds that have passed away just for? Oh yeah. Not at yeah, all. All of a sudden, we wake up one morning and there's a dead hen. Yeah. So you don't know unless you get a necropsy, that's a postmortem exam of Mm -hmm. what she died from. And some people will say, oh, she died of natural causes or old age. And nobody dies of old age or natural causes. I mean, there's something that the bird died from. You just don't know. So it could have been a disease. It could Mm -hmm. have been heart failure. Right. Reproductive dysfunction is extraordinarily common. So, um, yeah, you know, but if if you just do the basics every day, um, you know, worry about I say worry right. about the things that you can control, and the rest takes care of itself yeah. um, and is outside of your control. So let it go. Yeah, there you go. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. Does it have to be a chicken failure or just a life failure? No, whatever whatever works for you. Just you know, share. So I would say I was the world's worst waitress. So when I was in law school, I had lots of jobs. And, you know, waitressing was always just one of those jobs that kind of easy to get and paid the bills. And I was terrible at it. It's so difficult to be a good waitress. And I just don't have what it takes. I, Mm -hmm. I muddled through, but 
the day I spilled a hot bowl of soup on oh. some poor man's snakeskin boots was oh the day gosh. I realized, yeah, this probably, <laughs> I should probably find another profession. I was a failure as a waitress, and I'm okay with that. I gained a respect for those in that industry that it's extremely difficult. It's not just getting your food and bringing it to the table. Yes. There's a lot of organization. There's a lot of multitasking. Yeah. There's a lot of things you have to remember. Yep. There's the whole bedside manner thing. It's tough work, and I admire those who do it. I admire those who do it and love it in particular. So, you know, my message message from that was stay in school. <laughs> You know, get your degree, finish your degree, because you're going to need it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So what do you consider your biggest success? In business, I would say I never intended to be an entrepreneur. I never intended to have my own business. I, my biggest success is happening now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've built this chicken chick brand from nothing, literally nothing, with no budget for anything ever. And I've become you know, the chicken chick that people turn to for mm -hmm. information about chicken keeping and make it fun. I've made it fun. So I just think that, um, you know, that's my biggest business professional success. Oh, yes. I'm really proud Kudos of it. I'm proud of you. what I've done. Absolutely. I've gotten a lot of gray hairs along the way. There's not a lot of sleep. I mean, I've worked <laughs> so much harder for myself hours wise yep. and drive wise. I think I drive myself so much harder than any supervisor ever could have driven me, but I like my boss a lot better than I like a lot of my former supervisors. So, you know, I get to do things the way I think that they should be done. And I am accountable for that. And I think it's panning out pretty good. Perfect. So what drives you? What drives me is making sure that the information that I share with folks is accurate and is presented in a way that is accessible, is fun, and makes sense to people. Yeah, so I can see there's that. a lot of stuff about chickens that people don't understand. I'll give you one example. I take pride in being able to make these kinds of things accessible to people. So folks say, well, my chickens love mealworms. We've already said that chickens need a complete layer feed and you shouldn't interfere with that. But people say, well, my birds love the cracked corn. They love the scratch. They love the mealworms. What folks don't realize is that the average cow has 25,000 taste buds. The average human has about 9,000. Chickens have at most Three. 250 taste okay. buds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're not loving the treats. They're loving the attention maybe. Uh -huh. You've trained them to come and get something from you. They are better off without those treats if you are concerned about their health limit those. So what drives me is get those messages to the folks who need them. Because those are the same folks who are over-treating their chickens are going to come to me in six months, yeah. two years, and say, my bird is sick and dying. Help me. You know, you've overfed that chicken. They're dying of obesity-related mm -hmm. health complications, yeah. but it's too late to fix. So do it right from the beginning and keep it simple, and your birds will be as healthy as they can be, and you will enjoy them for as long as they are capable of living. Amen to that. So mm -hmm. if, you, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? So I'm not only a chicken keeper, I'm also a new beekeeper. Ooh, nice. Yeah, totally digging it. Yep, again, accidental beekeeper, never intended it, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm enjoying the book 
Keeping Bees and Making Honey mm-hmm. by Allison Benjamin and Brian McCallum. I think that's a good starter book. And there are other books that I'm also reading at the same time, but they tend to jump in at different points that I didn't find as accessible as this one book. That was a good starter book, and I got a lot of great information out of that. And I'm loving the beekeeping thing. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. So fun. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? So if you keep chickens, my advice is to keep it simple. Chickens do not need a constant influx of supplements, dietary extras, things out of your pantry, out of your kitchen cabinet that bloggers will tell you that you should be adding to their chicken feed. Keep it simple. A complete commercial feed, limit the treats, clean water and clean containers all day, every day, clean, dry living space and plenty of it, and good biosecurity. Don't drag disease into their yard. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple, and it'll be all good. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Kathy. My pleasure. A lot of fun. So how can our listeners find you? So folks can find me on Facebook. I am The Chicken Chick on Facebook. I'm there all day, every day, 365 days a year for the past six years. (laughs) You can also find me on my blog, The Chicken Chick, so you can do a Google search and find me that way, or it's www.the-chicken-chick.com. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash The Chicken Chick. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.